Well, if you were here last week, you'll know that just last week and this one, we're doing something a little bit different. Typically, during this part of the worship service, we just open a passage and really try to unpack that passage. The name for that is expository preaching. It means the preacher's trying to draw out from that passage what's in there. You never draw everything out because it's the Word of God. But we're trying not to read into it, but draw from it and unpack that. So typically that's what I'm doing. I'm doing really more of a topical sermon this morning as I did last week, thinking about the topic of honor. So unlike most weeks, I'll kind of draw from here, draw from there, and then we'll sort of get back to normal after that. Thinking about honor, uh, I saw footage three years ago of a high school graduation at a school in New York, a high school in New York State. And what happened in this graduation actually made the news outlets, and you may have seen it make the rounds online. There was a graduating senior named Jack Higgins who's autistic and just severely sensitive to noise. And he had been a high schooler there for eight years to get his diploma. So it was time for him to graduate, and his parents and family appealed to the school as there a way for him to have a good experience at his graduation, knowing that noise is like an onslaught to him. And it was in a gymnasium where everything's echoey. So before Jack came in, the principal told them, here's what we're going to do. We will become silent. Jack will walk and receive his diploma first. And then we will wait until he has exited the gymnasium. And then we can whoop and holler like we normally do. But we'll be silent. And, and the principal said, if you clap, golf clap. Now this would be golf clap. What the students did. So Jack was escorted in by his brothers. I guess so that his parents could just sit in the crowd like everybody and watch their, their son. And when he walked into the gymnasium, he was doing this. Like he was bracing himself for that, for that onslaught, and it was silent. And so he walked very slowly with his brothers up, walked up to the principal. The principal didn't grab his hand. He just held out his fist, and he bumped it. And he took it. The whole thing probably took about four minutes, which is long and quiet publicly. And everyone, they didn't just not golf clap. They did this, or they did this. Till it got all the way out. Now, we could say that every single student there was honored as a high school graduate that day. He was specially honored in a way that was fitting to him as a human being. Now, I want you to think of that image. And then I want you to think about what, if you use Twitter, like what Twitter has been like the last few years. And I'm not asking this in a snarky way. I'm asking this in an honest way. How would you like our world to be? Would, would you like it to be more like toxicity in social media? Or would, it, would you like to be more like those students with their peer? In fact, I left one part out. They actually, the principal didn't say to stand for him. They stood until he left. How would you like our world to be? The, the scriptures are replete, not only with language of honoring God, but of human beings honoring each other. And how 
the work of God's grace in a community impacts and changes and enables people and frees people to honor one another. Now, last week we thought about honoring the perfect God. What we're looking at this morning is us as imperfect people honoring imperfect people. I'm just going to read these first two verses and then I'll pray. One is from the Old Testament and one is from the New. First from Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 8. The psalmist writes, Yet you have made, he says him, you have made a human being a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And then from the New Testament, they, the people on the new earth, will bring into the new Jerusalem the glory and honor of the nations. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we would say to you together what maybe we don't even fully realize about ourselves, that we crave honor. We naturally traffic in dishonor toward each other. Toward those who have hurt us, toward those with whom we disagree, even toward you. Your grace can change our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work through your word to change us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor, pastor in the South, and, and he, he recounted a story to me. He had told it to me before, but he retold it to me because I wanted to make sure that I remembered it correctly. This happened several years ago, and this pastor was at their church building. It's in the downtown. He was there early in the morning for a men's Bible study, and it was winter, and it, he said it was very cold. And this pastor has worked downtown in this city long enough that he knows some of the homeless folks that he sees by name and, and has talked with them and knows some of their story. And so outside the church building, he saw this man named Dean. And Dean lived on the streets in this city. And so uh, my friend said, look, why don't you come in for a little bit? Just, just have a cup of coffee with me and just warm up a little bit. So Dean came in and they sat down. And, uh, and Dean is in his mid-50s. At that point, he's, he's homeless, he doesn't have means, and he just started talking about how embarrassed he was and how he just wished life had turned out differently and it's not where he thought it would be in his 50s. And so he's explaining this to, uh, to this pastor, my friend, and my friend said to him, okay, Dean, I want you to stop and think about something. I want you to think about the fact that the way you just expressed your feelings and your thoughts was extremely insightful. And I could track ex with exactly what you're saying. And, and, but I want you to think that even the way you're lifting this styrofoam cup of hot coffee up to your lips. And you can tilt it just right. And you can just draw off the top part just right so you don't burn your mouth. Do, do you understand that the fact that you can do that reflects what the Bible says about you? That there's a psalm that says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that the Bible says that you bear the image of God. You, you are made in the image of God. And Dean, I guess sitting in their foyer or lobby, he started crying. And he said, no one has ever told me that. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm fully aware that 
not everybody in the South knows everything in the Bible or wants to know everything in the Bible. But this was in the Bible Belt. And, you know, if you've been around this information, you might feel like, well, everybody knows that. Everybody's heard that. You don't even have to read the Bible. You would have bumped into that somewhere that the Bible says that human beings are made in the image of God. And he said he had never heard that, and it sounded like a game changer. Let me say this again. One of the manifestations of the work of God's grace in a community is that the people in that community more are able to live out of that reality. That you bear God's image, I bear God's image, and we may speak and deal with each other in that way and even honor one another. And that honor can even spill over into the greater community. But Scripture talks a lot about honor. Now, we're just dipping our toes in the water, but here's, here's how I want to think about this this morning. And this is just scratching the surface. I want you to think about honor is human. We've already kind of said that. Honor is human. Honor is extra. And honor is resourced. Okay, it's human, it's extra, and it's resourced. So first off, the way the psalmist describes the creation of a human being, just simply as a human being, is that God crowned humanity with glory. That, now, we talked about that term last week. The Hebrew term for glory is not so much tied to light or shining. It's tied to weightiness. What, in our, what we co-opted Latin to express when we say gravitas. You crown humanity with glory and honor simply as a human being. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s, and I'm finally reading a book that I've been meaning to get around to reading for a long time, To Kill a Mockingbird. Let the people say, Amen. And I've, and I've seen the movie, I've seen the black and white movie with Gregory Peck, watched it again recently. And of course I was curious about, so what's, what's in the book that got in the movie, what's in the book that didn't get in the movie? One part that's in the book that is beautifully portrayed in the movie, if you've seen it, comes at the end of the story. You know, this figure that's been all throughout the story is Boo Radley. And he lives just a few houses down from the main family, the main characters. There's a daddy, an attorney, Atticus Finch. He's got a daughter that goes by Scout. He's got a son that goes by Jim. And without getting into all the details, you get to the end of the story, and Jim has been assaulted, the son. And so the family's gathered up in the bedroom. He's lying on the bed injured. Atticus Finch is talking to um, the sheriff. And they're trying to find out from Scout what happened when they were attacked because she was there. And she's trying to recount it. And she looks, and they're in the house, in the bedroom. She looks over trying to describe this man she saw. She said, well, there he is right there. And this is the first time you see Boo Radley. I don't know how they got this actress in the movie to make the expression she makes when the whole screen is her face seeing Boo. But she looks at him. And she says, hey, boo. And do you know what's the next thing said? Is her dad, Atticus Finch, says, now remember, she goes by Scout and he goes by boo. Atticus says, Miss Jean Louise, Mr. Arthur Radley. Now, that is humanizing actually two people. 
talking to his daughter as a young woman and taking her seriously and introducing her to someone that we would call mentally disabled, mentally challenged, Mr. Arthur Radley, crowned with glory and honor. The last mention of honor in the whole Bible is not honor to God, although that theme is stem to stern. The last mention of honor toward the end of Revelation is what I read earlier about the people of God on the new earth. Heaven is not this ethereal life in the clouds, new earth, earthy earth, renovated, transformed. The new inhabitants of the earth, they're coming into this depiction of the new Jerusalem. It says they bring in the honor and glory of the nations. Now think about what that's saying. That's saying these different cultures and people groups have these strengths and contributions. And those don't like go away with the old earth. They're brought in. Even if they were formed and nurtured by people that didn't know or love God. So the new earth is a place with, think about, richly colored South American fabrics. And Mediterranean feasting. And British pomp. And Asian calligraphy. And all the other things that we could list. Those aren't like burned and left and you know, out of sight, out of mind. Those are brought in as honorable human contributions to the new earth. That being the case, that honor is... Before we talk about believers, before we talk about who's in the church, who's not. That means every human being has something of this honor. Now it can be damaged, marred. Tainted by behavior, by culture, by family patterns, by horrible, horrible bad choices. Yep, it can damage it. But it never fully takes away the image of God. So, here are some people who bear the image of God. Every person living under a bridge. Every Twitter user. Every child in the foster care system. Every aborted child. Everyone who is trans, transgender. Every hotel maid. And the reason I use that example is, especially if you just kind of stay in a, you know, middle ground, normal kind of hotel. If you pass one in the hallway, it's just like they're not human sometimes. It's like they're almost part of the container you throw the sheets and the towels in. They bear the image. Every telemarketer, every occupant of the bench of the Supreme Court, every one who sits in the seat of a House of Congress, every occupant of the White House and all their staff bear the image of God. All of them. And I don't know if you read this in the reflections in the front, but one of the reflections is from Scripture. It's from the book of James, chapter 3. And he says, you know, with, he's talking about your, our mouths, our tongue. He says, with the same tongue, you can praise God as your God and Father, and you can just seamlessly take that same tongue and curse people made in His likeness. And when James says, made in His likeness, he is taking us all the way back to Genesis 1. He says, the fact that you can use that same mouth to praise and then to demoralize somebody or curse somebody, he says, brothers, these things should not be. So before we go any further, let me just, in some ways, state the obvious 
trash-talking, name-calling, cursing other people, is not to be on the lips of the people of God. And no amount of indignation about the state of our culture justifies it. Period. Honor is human. Honor is extra. And I agonized over what word to put there. Because last week we thought about, okay, so what, what does the word mean? What are you doing when you honor God? Because we don't help him or do something for him that he needs. He has no needs. But if, honor is if the doing of honor is tied to weight, it means to not just recognize and not just acknowledge, but to esteem the one who is weighty. And God deserves that. We're talking about imperfect people who may or may not, quote, deserve it. But they have weightiness too. And that means, all right, with other human beings, I am to not just concede that, yeah, God crowns you with glory and honor, you bear God's image, but to esteem them. Now that backs the question up, what does it mean to esteem somebody? And maybe this is just kind of the best homegrown way to describe it, to do extra not just the bare minimum, not just permission to play, but to do extra with time, with words, with pursuit, with asking good questions, with really seeing the details of who you are and what your life is like. Now, biblically, it seems appropriate to start with family. I just gave a sample of different relationships where honor is supposed to show up, but first off with family. Uh, next two passages. Honor your father and your mother. This is almost the secret hiding in plain sight. We talk about this passage like it says, obey your father and your mother. Now, the younger the child is, the more application that, that has, we hope. But the actual language of the command is honor your father and your mother. And it is tied to that glory language. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then in the New Testament, Peter writes. Now, unlike the Apostle Paul, Peter was married. Here's what he says as a husband. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, thinking about honoring family members is so complicated, and it covers so much ground. Again, we're just scratching the surface. But let me ask you to think about this. We showed up not needing to be taught how to catch our other family members making mistakes. You know, you don't have to teach a child that. A child will do it instinctively. And there's something really delicious about keeping up with the mistakes of your family members and remembering them and bringing them back up and weaponizing them. Even if they really, really hurt you and you've got a big old yucky hurt feeling, it's almost medicinal to just get to wield their mistakes at them a little bit. It's almost therapeutic. We do it with spouses, we do it with our parents. Parents do it with children. Siblings do it. 
And I'm going to use an expression. It's not perfect, but I've heard this said, and I, I really like it, is that you can catch people doing good. Like good leaders of organizations, even if they're really detailed, even if they're really are aiming for a high level of excellence, good leaders know how to catch people in their organization doing good. Uh, children, I, I, I know you're frustrated with your parents. Do you ever catch them doing good? Parents, do you catch children doing good? Is everything correction? Is everything instruction? Or do you catch your children doing good? And back to children, you need to understand, however old you are, I mean, if you're 7 years old or you're 47 years old, when you catch your parent doing good and you verbalize it, it is like a little burst of joy. No matter how old the family members are. And spouses do that. Definitely the same. What about in the larger church community? Uh, look how, just listen how comprehensive this is. Romans 12, Paul writes, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I don't know any other place where Paul says... Almost get into an arms race with each other about who's better at this. It said he could compete at this, honoring each other. Peter says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and even go so far as to say, honor the emperor. Who in that context would be a pagan. Uh, what are the common themes, again, of doing extra? If honor is extra, what does that look like? Not just generic niceness, but seeing people. Like seeing, if I, can, if I can put it this way, you know, I quoted my friend saying to the homeless man, Dean, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's from Psalm 139. If I can put it this way, seeing the fearfully and wonderfully madeness of your brothers and sisters. And that they are experiencing the same grind. That your grind is not the ultimate. But they're under it too. They're bearing hard things too and seeing them. And, and not just giving generic compliments, but knowing how to specifically see God's grace in their life and how they contribute as their unique self to the kingdom of God and verbalizing it. Or going after them with time. Extra time. Asking questions of people who are older than you. Oh man, listen, along with not having to be taught how to uh, keep an inventory of our family members' mistakes, no one has to teach us how to make older people feel marginalized. We just do it instinctively. Like we're enduring them. Rather than honoring them. Which might look like asking one great question that lets them just share. Honor is extra. It's human. But I want you to think about this. Honor is resourced. Honor is resourced. In other words, you're most able to give what you have. 
Now, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ have to do with that? I mean, if I stand up here and just talk about we need to honor each other and we don't need to dishonor each other, biblically that's true, but that's not really preaching the gospel. That's just talking about our behavior. But what is the good news from which our behavior is supposed to flow? And honor can actually be a window into that. Um, Sometimes in Scripture, the language of honor and glory, as you look at that, somewhere there's a crown. Think about this. When Roman soldiers were physically abusing Jesus, leading up to the cross, one of the things the soldiers did, and they did this, understand, very much to dishonor him. Not just mete out a Roman punishment, but to dishonor the man. One of the things they did was to say, oh, okay, look, he says he's the king of Israel. You've got to have a robe if you're a king, so they've done that. But you've got to have a crown if you're the king. So they look down and they're thorns. Now, whichever soldier saw that first, why are there thorns there? And that goes back to Genesis as well. That when Adam and Eve first sinned and brought dishonor on themselves, that God comes to Adam and you've got to really pay attention to the language. He doesn't say, cursed are you. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. And the sort of classic manifestation that the ground will not just afford the wealth it once did as easily as it did is thorns. And you'll fight them the rest of your life. And this Roman soldier looks down thousands of years later and what do you know? There's thorns. And he takes them and he makes a crown and he puts it on the one head that just on merit should have a perfect crown and get all the honor and all the credit and all the congratulations from God the Father. Puts that crown on him and he's crucified. And you know what? Some of you have heard me say this before. In most art, Jesus is portrayed on the cross as at least having a loincloth. He was almost certainly crucified naked except he was wearing one thing. That crown. And what, without that Roman soldier meaning to, what just got depicted? I am bearing on myself the curse. Not just your sin, not just guilt, but your dishonor and your shame. And friends, you may be under the impression, in fact, if you if you were going to err to one side, I'd want you to err to this side, that Jesus loves me so much, he loved going to that cross. The book of Hebrews says, when he went to that cross, he despised the shame. Despised it. And did it. So that he can give us the crown he deserves. Did you know that more than once in the New Testament, our future is described as God crowning us. God crowning people, good grief, who've broken their marriage vows, church vows, broken their word, trampled on his name. But if Christ is their Savior, he will crown our heads. Here's how one passage puts it. When the chief shepherd appears, by the way, this is by Peter, who royally, royally blew it. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The gospel is that he takes my dishonor and gives me 
his honor he deserves. God will crown me with joy. And here's what that means, among other things. If I have that kind of honor, I can give that level of honor. And I'll end with this thought. It's late August, and you know what that means. Halloween is about to take over everything. Not just our neighborhoods, school hallways, you know, menus, everything. And uh, it's still my thesis, even as a great lover of chocolate, that the absolute easiest time to give chocolate to other people is November 1st. Because, you know, the hoppers are full of candy and chocolate. That is the easiest day to give other people your chocolate. Because you have it. Um, we show up voracious for honor. And so we tend to be stingy with it. And almost traffic in a scarcity mindset. Listen, if, you, if you're in Christ, that's the old economy. You can let that go. You are honored and you will be actually crowned by God the Father. Give honor to the old, the weak, the vulnerable, the member of the body who needs special attention, to parents, to children. Give honor. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are not good at this. And you know that we, we crave the very thing that we're stingy to give. We crave the thing that we're stingy to give. We pray, Father, that among all the other reasons we need to look at the Lord Jesus, that, Lord Jesus, we would see you taking our dishonor, our guilt, our shame, wearing thorns, wearing the curse, that we might receive honor, that we might receive a crown. Father, we ask even as a local church that that would so flavor the people of God, that would so flavor our church family, that people actually could know that we're your disciples by our love for each other. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.